Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, a special coronavirus uh, series that we are doing. And uh, we are doing this uh, tonight with uh, Jeremy Raper, and, and uh, Jeremy and I are going to be doing uh, a few of these at least. Uh, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. It's been a couple months. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. And where, um, where are you at right now? I'm in Tokyo at the moment. Okay. Uh, so and is, there, is, is everyone yeah. quarantined or in isolation out there right now? What's, what's, what's it like out in Tokyo? It's it's actually much more normal than probably a lot of the West. So really, obviously, you know, yeah, yeah. So Sing- Singapore, Taiwan, and many of the Southeast Asian countries had experience with SARS, so they were much better prepared to deal with something like this. So they responded much faster. So Japan obviously had some SARS impact, but obviously with the earthquakes, it's quite used to disaster prevention. Um, plus, it's part of the culture. A lot of people tend to wear masks if they have a cold. Uh, you know, handshaking, that kind of behavior is not part of the normal culture here. So, look, I mean, I wouldn't say it's business as usual, but certainly it's maybe it's maybe it's like 50, 60 percent of people you'll normally see on the streets, not zero. There's no, you know, there are recommendations to stay at home and avoid non-essential gatherings. Obviously, travel's fallen off a cliff, too, but all the shops are still open. Restaurants are still open. They're not crowded, but they're open. People are still mingling um so it's it's not quite business as usual but it's it's definitely not like you see in western europe or, or, or parts of the u.s yeah in- interesting well i'm i'm looking forward to doing this this evening with you the, the last time i did a podcast where it was more of a uh a particular special event going on was actually at the end of 2018 when there was it wasn't like this obviously but when there was some market panic and i just came on the air on my own and said, hey, guys, you know, the world is not ending, and there's some interesting stuff out there. And accidentally, I, I that podcast was published um, within a day of the market bottom, in hindsight. So it'll be interesting well, to I, see how... I hope you can repeat the trick. I hope you can repeat the trick this time around. Uh, that, look, that I think we're doing it once is a, quite a hard feat, so I'm not going to even attempt yeah. to say I'm going to do it twice, but it'll be interesting to see how this uh, podcast series ages, I will say that. Let's go for it. Let's see, let's right. see how, uh, how we embarrass ourselves. Yeah, interesting. So let's just do a general overview of, of, of what's going on, right? Every, everyone is a – by the way, I just want to preempt this by saying everyone is a fantastic invest, in, investor in hindsight. I mean my, my hindsight returns of what I should have done are probably in the triple digits. I don't know about you. Yeah, hindsight, hindsight <laughs> capital has perfect 100% Kager, right? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Everyone is, yeah, hindsight capital beats even Renaissance technology. So <laughs> that's that's a given. I mean, look, um, I guess I guess it's 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 you have to frame where we are, right? So yeah, S and P's off thirty percent or so in a month. Um, in the depths of the financial crisis, peak to trough fall in the S and P was fifty percent, right? So, but even that took what eighteen months, right? Peak to trough, I believe. Yeah. So. I mean, by the way, my, my kind of baseline scenario is the overall market goes lower 
before it goes higher. But the reason I'm at least, you know, bottom trying to bottom fish or, or find some bargains right now is because I have a particular view on how this virus is going to play out. And that view is grounded in human history more than any of the current uh, any, anything currently related to how the virus is unpacking. And that is, you know, if if you subscribe to the belief that humans are resilient and that we persevere in the face of all kinds of challenges, it's very hard to envisage a future where everyone is just permanently locked in their houses, no one ever gets on an airplane again, no one stays in a hotel again. It's very hard to envisage that future. Of course, it is possible, theoretically possible, in a world in which this virus literally is, you know, kind of World War Z proportions. Uh, but given we have two reasonably large samples of how the virus has already played out, namely China and South Korea, um, I think you're much better off erring on the side of all human historical experience with regard to these kind of threats. Namely, there is a period of intense panic. There is a period of intense um, altered behavior. Uh, but absent an Armageddon, people get up and get on with their lives. And, and kind of just to give you an example of this, right? So I was listening to another podcast a few days ago. Malcolm Gladwell was on there and he was talking about the experience of London uh, residents during the Blitz in 1940, right? So, you know, apparently at that time, Churchill and the British uh, government was wargaming the scenario, and they knew that um, they knew that the Nazis would bomb London to pieces, and they assumed everyone would panic and rush out of the cities and try to shelter in the countryside. So, so they were trying to figure out, okay, where do we put shelters in Oxford or you know, uh, the Cotswolds or whatever? They you know tried to figure out where they're going to house all the refugees. And the bombs came and they destroyed London for a period of months, but no one panicked. Eventually, they resumed normal life. In fact, it happened very quickly, right? So every day, a certain amount of the city would be destroyed, fires would be put out, but the shops were still open. People still went to school. So this is obviously different to that, but I'm, that's kind of a nice example to the, extent that, to the extent that this becomes a ongoing recurrence or part of our lives. The idea that we're just going to be permanently quarantined and sit in our houses forever and never go about our lives, uh, I find that very, very difficult to believe. I think it's much more likely that at some point we deal with the consequences, as, as sad and as um, costly as they may be, just as we've dealt with other pandemics and the consequences of other risks um, to, in order to live fruitful, fulfilled lives. For example, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same thing at all, but, you know, for example, the risks of taking cars, right? Or the risks of, um, you know, to a lesser extent, the risks of, you know, swimming in the ocean, things like that, right? There, there's always a downside. Maybe this just becomes another one of those potential risks. Now, look, that's a very stratified, there's a very stratified, um, what's the word for it? Older people are obviously much, much more at risk than younger people to this, and we need to take care of them. And so I could envisage where, you know, certain segments of the population essentially get back to normal or thereabouts, and then older segments of the population, uh, unfortunately, due to self the need to self-preserve, um, cannot live as free lives as they used to live. So, I mean, I could certainly envisage that, and that, that would be a horrible outcome. But with regard to the economic consequences, that would still be, in my view, much, much, much more limited than the market is pricing in huge segments of the market, right? So if you, if you come down on my side, that is, if you believe that at some point this is a temporary phenomenon, right? It might be three months, it might be six months, maybe even longer. But at some point, we, we either beat it and we get back to normal, or we somewhat contain it, we, and we slowly get back to normal, or we don't beat it, and we have herd immunity at some point, and then we get back to normal, whatever the cost. Then, or we as have long a, va as, a vaccine for it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we have a vaccine within, say, 18 months. But even even that's a bit of a long shot, apparently. But, you know, 
if we just accept the costs of this as a cost of being, you know, being alive and being active in society, which is a, a very horrible thing to say, but at some point, you know, human resiliency would probably get to that point. Then as long as you can't destroy some of these businesses through bankruptcy in the meantime, some stuff is being absolutely given away. So, so I guess that is what I would say is the caveat or, or at least the framing of the issue. If you think this is World War Z, you should sell everything, short the market, or would at least sell everything, go hide in a hole uh, and not buy anything for, I don't know, a, a year. And the market will go down another 60, 70 or, or buy gold or something like that. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in fact, I actually do like gold either way, right? Because the logical outcome of this is probably massive monetary stimulus. I mean, it is massive monetary stimulus, massive fiscal stimulus, massive debasement of all paper currency, right? So gold will do very well either way. Even if there is an economic recovery, there'll just be so much debasement of paper going on that gold, gold will, I think, will do very well. But that's that's another discussion. But yeah, if you subscribe to that view, you should not listen to or not do anything that we're going to talk about. But if you do subscribe to the view that, um, look, whether it takes three months or six months, we do normalize then, I mean, look, you can load the boat. There is just stuff that is being absolutely given away right now. And, and I think I understand why it's being given away. It's forced selling. It's panic. Um, a lot of these businesses have just had horrid, I mean, absolutely disastrous set of, set of headlines. We'll, we'll talk about a, about a few, uh, especially related to travel and hospitality. But again, you, you, you cannot extrapolate from one bad month or even if we last all year, one horrendous year, um, for for permanent impairment because essentially equities are perpetual vehicles, right? As long as as long as they don't get restructured, as long as they don't file bankruptcy, uh, an equity should be the sum of all the the NPV of all the future cash flows generated by that business. So it's very hard. Assuming a business doesn't go bust, it's very very difficult to impair fully a business value in in three horrible months, or even six horrible months, or even a disastrous year. Now, that, of course, that assumes the business doesn't get restructured and therefore the capital structure remains as it is or roughly as it is. But that's, that's the work you need to do. But you, you can't even start to do that work unless you believe the first point that I mentioned, namely that this is ultimately going to be a temporary phenomenon of limited duration and something we'll get through. Right. So as a, as a general overview, um, where would you uh, suggest investors who are looking to find some companies that might be given away for almost nothing. You know, what are some industries or sectors you think are especially bombed out right now that are worth taking a look at and doing more work work on? Sure, sure, sure. So, so look, there's there's kind of th- there's there's one or two or th- maybe three categories of things you can look at, right? So, the default of a lot of people is to look at stuff that where they're ultimately very good businesses. They've been haircut with the market, and there's absolutely no risk of them disappearing. And in fact, they might even get stronger, right, through this. So things like Amazon or you know Google or what have you. Um, the problem with that is they're not really down that much in the grand scheme of things. And in absolute terms, they're still extremely expensive, right? So in, in the scenario, I, I kind of think will happen where the overall market goes up, goes lower. Um, I, I kind of think you're more at risk in stuff that's already pretty crowded. That's, you know, premium, like premium business has already traded premium valuations. We've known that for the last five, six years. That trend has actually continued, right? Value has gotten sold even more because a lot of the value names are cyclical, um, whereas you know a lot of the tech names are perceived as non-cyclical, even though they may actually be quite cyclical once we have a proper recession, which we're probably going to have. So I think that's actually quite dangerous. Um, the other dangerous thing is looking at things like uh, consumer staples, right? Everyone's rushing into consumer staples because they're defensive, things like that. Even utilities are holding up better, or a lot of them are. 
Um, but the problem there again is these are already extremely expensive parts of the market due to due to perceived you know uh, you know risk parity things like that bond proxies uh, being perceived as bond proxies right so I think that's actually really really dangerous. Um, so I do think you're better off being paid where you look at things that are either so I mean so bombed out so obliterated where it doesn't even matter if there's a recession that these companies just have to survive and you'll make multiples. So essentially, a huge amount of the airline space, a huge amount of the um, huge amount of the hospitality space, um, basically anything related to travel. Now, of course, you have to pick and choose because a lot of these businesses are levered, right? So, so you have to be very you have to be very diligent and figure out which ones are actually going to make it and which ones aren't. And try right, because some out. of them some of them may not make it. I think I think a fair few won't make it, right? A fair few won't make it, but the ones that do. You know, it's not hard to see multiples from here, right? Which right. is which is strange in equity land. Um, and then the third bucket is, I guess, we won't talk about today, but special situations. So purely things that have purely moved because liquidity has been withdrawn, right? So, you know, there's things like um, I'm not sure if you noticed, but a couple of days ago the gold price was up 10%, but the GDX was off 10, 15% intraday, right? So, so the underlying commodity was up a lot. Maybe it was three days ago. The underlying commodity was up a lot. But the index that tracks the junior miners or the miners was down a lot. And so right. the, essentially, the only reason for that to happen is if someone's getting margin called out of a huge position. So someone was probably short gold long the miners because there was, the spread was very wide, and they just got carried out of that trade. So things like that, or you know, merger arb spreads. You know, even merger merger arbs that are that are very extremely likely to close. These spreads have all been obliterated because that's a source of liquidity. People literally just unwinding everything. Or, you know, things like Bristol-Myers contingent value rights. Right. So, so this is completely uncorrelated. By the way, not something I own, but some of my friends like it. A completely uncorrelated, secu uncorrelated security where the payoff depends on the FDA approving certain drugs. It does not depend on sales, revenues, or anything like that. It depends on will the FDA approve these drugs, right? So whether whether the market is, you know, whether the S&P is at all-time highs or 30% lower, surely the FDA doesn't care about that, right? They care about the drug's efficacy. So the probability of those odds have not changed meaningfully in the last, you know, two weeks, yet the price of these things has gone down by 50%. So things like that, completely uncorrelated special situation type stuff uh, is the other bucket. But maybe we'll save that for another podcast. We'll talk more about the stuff where I, I just think it's being given away. And almost any outcome from here, absent that Armageddon that I talked about, would see you return incredible returns. Yeah. And what do you, what do you use for looking at um, for special situations? What what do you, would you recommend for uh, listeners to, to start looking through stuff like that? Do you have any good resources for them? I mean, honestly, a lot of it is just my network and what, what yeah. other people are looking at. So it's, it's hard. There's, there isn't a specialsituations.com site that tracks these things things maybe there's a merger website out there i'm not sure but any anyone who who uh, has a network who, who looks at these kind of things you know hopefully they can um ask their friends what interesting things they're seeing in the risk arb space the merger arb space uh, and then some of these special situations uh but unfortunately it's hard to kind of point listeners in one direction to find a list of them right all right. Well, Jeremy, it was, uh, you know, appreciate you coming on, uh, to talk about places to look for and your just your general over, uh, overview of the market. And, uh, we'll be doing a few more of these episodes and we'll have you back on. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, 
ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.